This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. This is John Bateman, and you're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast, which can be found on all your popular platforms and at anxietycanada.com. Today, I'm talking to President and CEO at Canadian Men's Health Foundation, TC Carling. Hi, TC. Welcome. Uh, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Appreciate yeah. you. Glad to have you here. Uh, first question always starts, what's your anxiety story? Yeah, I have lived experience with what Anxiety Canada would like to describe as mild to moderate um, anxiety. And I've had it since I was about 10 or 11 years old, likely a byproduct of uh, some challenging, a challenging start that many of us uh, have. And um, yeah, it's sort of, I, you know, I have a nine-year-old daughter now and I understand the importance of these sort of foundational years. Uh, as I get older, um, they really do in many respects set the, the foundation for your future in, many, in, in a lot of ways. And yeah, I've navigated it for the last uh, 35 years or so. I wouldn't have known what it was in those early years, I don't think. But uh, looking back, it's pretty clear that it, uh, it was and is anxiety. And I've found ways to, to manage it when it's uh, more intense than, uh, than other times. And um, yeah, I use various tools that I, that I use at my disposal and um, yeah, navigate it on a daily basis sometimes. And mm-hmm. how, did you, how, did it, how did you first experience it when you, were, when you were younger? Yeah, that's a good question. Like I said, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what it was, but I, but I can tell you what the feelings were. And now as a 46 year old with a clear understanding of what it was and what it is, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, I'm not the PhD or the scientist in the room, but I, I do believe that at the root cause of what we are looking for, those of us that struggle with our anxiety is we're looking for certainty. And the first 10 or so years of my life had very little certainty. And that sort of set the foundation for, um, you know, if, if this happens, then this could happen. And what if this happens and overthinking things and trying to work, uh, work through scenarios where I could establish control. Uh, you know, I, our daughter, I took her to school today. Uh, it's the fifth year in the same elementary school. And I went to five elementary schools in seven years. So, wow. yeah. uh, on, on different sides of the country. And, um, it was a little turbulent at times. And mm-hmm. as a result, that's sort of, uh, you know, uh, even as I get older and have more control over certain circumstances, there are aspects of the foundation that was, was, um, laid early on, um, that, you know, that, that requires, uh, work. Yeah. I, I was the same as you, uh, started early. Um, and I'm the same as you, I have kids that are a bit older, you know, they're, they're 16 and 19 now. Uh, how did you, um, how did you approach it with your children? I mean, to me, it's, it should be one of those talks that goes along with the birds and the bees talk, you know, there should be a mental health talk. How did you, uh, how did you sort of, you know, work that into the dialogue with your daughter? Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I don't know if it's generational or, um, just having lived experience and an awareness of it, but it's actually, to be honest with you, a very open topic in our mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Um, as it's become obviously my willingness to do this and other things, but uh, we, we have a very open dialogue uh, with our daughter about it. 
Um, obviously the language you use at 46 or you and I would use with one another is different than you use with a nine or 10 year old. But mm -hmm. uh, I've been fortunate having sat on the board of directors for Anxiety Canada and been around a lot of subject matter expertise who are kind enough to share you know, their, their in input. Um, you know, the simplest way I describe it to our, to our nine-year-old daughter is that there's uncertainties in life and the only way to get through them is you got to walk right through them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that could be, um, I'm a huge sports fan. I've got a large portrait over my shoulder there, but it's like Michael Jordan. Yeah, It is. Yeah. <laughs> what I like about sports though, is the reality is in our life, we're going to face adversity. And it's how do we walk through it? Some of the things that I experienced as a child, thankfully, my daughter is not, and nor would I ever want her to. Mm -hmm. But I will, I'm not naive to think that that some of those adversities have set me up for quote unquote success in my future as well. Um, and resiliency. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether that's dance or sports or extracurricular activities or whatever they are, she's gonna have to face some um she's going to have to face some uncomfortable feelings at times. And uh, you just hope it's done in a bit of a controlled environment, safe environment, if you will, so that she can build up some of the res resiliency that likely you and I have, um, but maybe in ways we wish we probably didn't. Yeah. So moving forward, I mean, you, you know, now looking back, you, you recognize that you had uh, an anxiety issue from a young age. Um, at what point did you actually get a chance to put a name to it? You know, what point did you, you know, realize that? And then, you know, because to me, it, your journey towards sort of dealing with it or living with it day to day, it always starts with realizing you, you have something. Yeah, um, that's an excellent question. Uh, I, I don't know if in my teens, I necessarily knew what it was. Mm -hmm. I knew what the feeling was, but I don't necessarily think I knew exactly what it was. So I'm 46. So that's in the early nineties, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, when I'm a teenager going through and maybe at that time it was, you know, life very much settled down for a while there, my teen years. Um, and so as a result, maybe it wasn't quite as prevalent or I was a little more in control of my environment as I got a little bit older, especially into my early twenties and went to live on my own. And well, actually I went directly from home to living with my, my now wife of 21 years. So there was a, there was a real sense of control, if you will. So I think uh, I was able to probably identify what the feeling of lack of control felt like. And at, at some point, probably in my early 20s, I was able to identify it um, yeah. by name, you know, uh, yeah. but um, didn't speak about it for a long right, time. Right. Um, now I'll speak about it with anybody. Here I am. <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, you know, somebody asked me, uh, somebody I really respect uh, asked me one day, like, when did you become comfortable doing what you're doing. And I said, when I realized that I didn't care what other people thought and that I could help other people. Huge. Yeah. yeah. I, I found as soon as I became transparent about it or became, you know, sort of a, a on the street advocate at that point, you know, people asking me how, how I'm doing and then actually telling the truth and, and mentioning that I've got an anxiety issue or a depression issue. Um, yeah. I'm always baffled by the number of people uh, that respond to that. And that, you know, they actually breathe a sigh of relief almost when, when they hear somebody say that outright, it's, it's really a, a great gift to give to people. Yeah. And I read your bio on Anxiety Canada's website, um, which is obviously an organization that's really close to me and uh, that I care deeply about. Um, and something that you wrote in one of your Q and A's, uh, I, I, I can, I've lived it ex exactly. Like once I shared my story and I had a willingness to tell other people how I was feeling um, the number of private calls that I've received from people 
looking for some support or looking for some advice is uh, numerous. And yeah. whether they tell other people or not, I don't know. But they tell me, I think, because I told them. Right. And so what did the, you know, I, I actually, startlingly, more recently, probably within the last five years, I have given up on finding a cure, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that was like a, an anchor around my neck, finding mm-hmm. a cure and realizing that this is something that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. And it's up to me to kind of learn to deal with it. Like you say, on those day-to-day, the day-to-day basis. Um, did you, did you ever fight it? Um, and, and what, you know, where did you start sort of turning the corner on, um, on creating, you know, uh, on finding tools? Um, when did that start to happen for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I used to use the term hate. I hate anxiety. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've used uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then there's still times where I do. I do hate that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what one of the things I've had to do to educate sort of others, if you will, and I don't mean this because they're not educated, just because is that they assume that I just feel anxious because I've told someone I have anxiety, that I'm anxious all the time or I have anxiety all the time. I might live with anxiety at all times, but I'm not anxious at all times. Like I'm not anxious right now, for example, I I might be this afternoon, something might flare up. I don't know. I might not be for two weeks or a month. I'm not sure. But um, so I'm not sure. I I definitely, it's not a love hate. It's a hate. I don't like it. I don't like the way it feels. Fair. Uh, But I do believe that, you know, that, that different successes, I say that without ego, but different successes in my, my life have come as a result of, some of the things that, you know, there's, there is a double-edged sword to sort of, um, sort of trying to be sharp and trying to be on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when it's, when it tips, it's because you're trying to control something. Mm-hmm. But when it's, I think, uh, for me anyway, when I, when I think about when it's being used effectively, um, mm-hmm. I can be very sharp. I can be very, I think, aware of other people's feelings. I don't know if that's called EQ or what have you, but, you know, I think I can be aware of reading a room and I think, um, uh, can be empathetic as a result. But uh, when did I start using tools? Uh, I will say that almost on my worst possible day of anxiety, I, there are things I simply cannot do. Like I, there's no point in reading a book. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take in any of the, the words. Uh, I could probably listen to music because it's just sort of vanilla. But uh, if I'm trying to listen to a, a podcast, if I was trying to listen to you and learn something, if I'm in a heightened sense of anxiety, it's probably pointless at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but physical activity, uh, really is, is super effective for me. It really, really is. I can be having a really bad day, um, and do some, do something physically active. And for that brief period of time, uh, be it 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is, um, really see a positive, uh, uh, escape from it. And I'm grateful for that. You know, when I say that though, I like to do, um, hard things, if you will like uh, high intensity or I'm training for a half marathon right now. Like I don't, I don't necessarily need to lie on a mat and think anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to do something that, you know, whether it's a spin class or a high intensity training session or a 10 K run where it's difficult to the point where it takes my mind off those other things for at least, at least temporarily. Yeah. I don't think the value of um, physical, you know, health, physical exertion can be understated when it comes to dealing with anxiety. Um, I, will not be running a half marathon um, ever in my life. I never know. Never know. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Okay. I'll keep the door open. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm a walker. 
I walk and I ride bike and, and, uh, I find it really helps, you know, when it, when, cause you know, it's interesting that you say that in terms of if somebody's in the middle of, you know, heightened anxiety or panic attack or whatever, you know, just telling them to calm down or whatever. Um, uh, you know, I remember trying, uh, in, you know, trying with great futility, uh, to meditate when I'm feeling really anxious, yeah. it just does not work. And, and I, and I, I've come to understand that things like meditation and, and physical activity, they're the things you keep doing when you're, when you're kind of feeling good or feeling average and feeling good. Um, and then that helps kind of reduce the intensity uh, as you experience it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, there's, it's, I, I actually said this to my sister-in-law at some point over the summer is that um, I work out for my mental health and I mm-hmm. eat for my physical health. You know, it's interesting. I'm sitting in this position now of, uh, of leading a, a national nonprofit for improving men's health in the areas of, you know, both physical and mental health. And we, we encourage, we encourage men and their families to make simple changes in their life. But, you know, in reality, I work, I, it's very clear to me now how I try to take care of myself. I try to eat properly for my physical health. Mm-hmm. And I try to, and I work out every day, essentially for my mental health. Yeah. Even though I think there's a notion that people are working out, of course, there's benefits to my physical health by working out, but mm-hmm. I, I'm really doing it for my mental health. Yeah, totally. Um, tell me a little bit more about the Canadian Men's Health Foundation, um, sort of your your journey there as CEO and, uh, you know, w- what you guys do. Um, yeah, well, thank you for the, asking. Foundation. Yeah, yeah, it's founded by a tremendous... Uh, highly respected physician here in, in Vancouver, Dr. Larry Goldenberg, a urologist. Um, you know, he saw a problem in men's health and uh, along with the founding president, Wayne Hartrick, they wanted to take on the men's health um, literacy or proactive health measures in a slightly different way than whether it be academic or sort of, um, you know, uh, from that perspective, they wanted to take it on from a marketing perspective and, and to try to get men's attention that otherwise don't other otherwise pay attention to their health. They de- deprioritize a lot of men deprioritize their health for a variety of reasons. Right. Could be family, could be stress, could be career, could be could be a whole bunch of things. And Embar- so, embarrassment awfully uh, often, yeah, you know, yeah, just being, you know a, and, being a man. Yeah, they, they don't have a, they don't have a family physician in their late teen years into their early twenties. And then of course, all of us in our twenties are indestructible. And then all of a sudden, you know, one habit becomes the next and now you're in your mid thirties or later and, and, and the problems have started. And so how do you prevent those, uh, the, the most commonly, most common chronic illnesses in men? That's an area of focus for the organization, uh, through lifestyle changes, you know, approximately 70% of the illness that men suffer from are preventable through lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Our, we have a campaign called Don't Change Much and in the, in the website, don'tchangemuch.ca, which is very much a play on words. So we're not asking you to run a half marathon or run a marathon, but are, there are simple lifestyle changes you can make that will improve your physical health. Uh, this past year, um, we have really tried to step into the men's mental health space. Uh, this past June, uh, we ran a month-long campaign called Move for Your Mental Health. I just spoke uh, specifically about the impact and importance and the proven importance of, of physical activity, especially when it comes to, to mild to moderate uh, mental health challenges. Uh, we partnered with Anxiety Canada on that exact uh, campaign because they, they have a great subject matter expertise when it comes to mild to moderate anxiety. And we both have a shared desire to reach more men and their families. So, um to answer your question, I originally joined the organization in 2013 at its launch. Um, 
as the senior vice president of operations, uh, left the organization uh, for other pursuits for a while, but actually was asked by the board of directors uh, to take this position and have sat in the seat now since February 1st. So it's uh, very rewarding. My passion never left. I sat on the board for six years, I believe in what Dr. Goldenberg is trying to do. And um, as we step into the men's mental health space, I think there's a real opportunity in Canada to, uh, to partner with like-minded organizations and become real leaders. Yeah, I think the it's you know you know two men here talking and and being um, I guess I had some of that uh, some of that issue kind of you know the the stereotype the, what's expected of of a man um, and and the stigma um, around mental health um, so it's really you know it's really great thing that you do I think men need to be sort of addressed separately because there's you know there's men don't seem to be as forthcoming with what's going on inside. Yeah. Um, you know, I often hear the statistics that, that women are affected more by mental health issues, but it's because a huge percentage of men don't report. Yeah. I believe uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think one of the statistics that we use that we've uh, got from anxiety Canada is only about 30% of the mental health services are accessed by men. And I, right. I, don't, I don't, I don't believe it's because only it's a 30, 70 split. I believe it's because, uh, the, the women are the ones that are encouraging one another, uh, feeling comfortable, uh, in asking for the help that, that we all need. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So, um, so I, I guess, you know, for your, for your tools, you're, you're saying it's, uh, it's, I guess sleep's an important one for you too. You're, you're, you're hitting the big three, I guess. I'm a really bad sleeper though. Are you really? <laughs> I, 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 I dedicate a lot of time to the window, the resting window. Yeah. But that tell me what the resting window is. Well, I like the mornings. So I would say that typically uh, between 10 and five, 10 yeah. and six, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. In the summer in particular, I really like getting up early. Um, yeah. I, I, I was out this morning with my dog at 6 15 and I realized, like, well, it's really changed in a month. You know, because <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was not dark, but it was, it was not quite light yet. Um, so I do like the mornings. Um, I really am not a, it's funny. I, for nearly 20 years, I worked for the Vancouver Canucks. And so I was at, I was at games and traveling a lot. And so, but I never am up past 10 o'clock if I don't have to be, but I was for 18 years professionally, you know, 80 nights a year or whatever. Wow. But I, I do, I do like, uh, I do like going to bed early and I like getting up early. And yeah. uh, so, but so I, so I, so I'm very much restful or at least resting between mm -hmm. 10 and five, 10 and six, but I'm not, I'm not sleeping that, that whole time, unfortunately. So, yeah. so the tools, yeah. So, so resting, um, I have tried, I have tried meditation. I do like a lot of the apps. Um, yeah. uh, it is a practice as they say. So I've tried to get better. I, I, mm -hmm. at the encouragement of my wife and many others, I've tried to embrace yoga. It just yeah. does not work for me. Yeah. Uh, if anything, I would use it as a flexibility tool, but it's just not effective for me as far as, uh, 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 for what what it is also intended to do so and i love the outdoors i live in north vancouver um the trails here are incredible uh, we you live find you, you find your time in nature is valuable as well oh yeah for sure i mean most almost every day since 2004 i've started the day with a dog walk of some kind you know mm -hmm. weather doesn't matter uh time of year doesn't matter so we got our first dog in 2004 we have our second one now and so every day starts the same you know whether it's 15 minutes or 60 minutes it is an excellent way to start the day um and uh now that i work been working from home for the last year or so i also work one in at midday so when i conclude this with you i'll take him for a 20 or 30 minute walk around the block it really breaks up my day and um 
I love the physical activity. Sometimes I take uh, earbuds with me and listen to yeah. podcasts or music. I find that really yeah. effective. And uh, audiobooks is another thing I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, multitasking, I guess, you know, with the busy mind, I like to multitask. So now, yeah. now I'm walking and walking my dog and listening to a book all at the same time. Sounds I'm the same. I'm the same way. I, I run that fine line. You know, I'm, I'm, I sometimes worry that I am using too many distraction techniques at once, you know? Um, and uh, well, you know, I I remember uh, as a big sports fan, there was this notion about a decade or so called the second screen, right? You'd watch a game or you'd be at a game and you'd watch a game and you'd be on a second screen. But as I've learned since you, you can't do two things at one time. So I I do find the one thing with the audio books, which I, I can go through them much faster because I can do it in the car. I can do it while I'm walking, whatever, but I actually have to, I really need to put the phone away somewhere so that I can't even reach it. Cause if I do, I'll just, I'll check an email, I'll check a text. The next thing I know, you know, 90 seconds of the book has gone by and I haven't, you know, taken any of it in. So I, I do try to focus on what I'm doing, but uh, obviously like all of us, that's distractions are everywhere. So. Yeah. Well, what you do professionally is incredibly valuable and your foundation is, is incredible. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. And, uh, you know, I'd love to talk to you in the future sometime again. There's so much to talk about in the mental health realm. Uh, and for those who are interested, it's uh, menshealthfoundation.ca is the webpage you can go to and uh, check it out. Thanks very much, TC. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, John. And thank you for all your support you give to Anxiety Canada. It's, uh, it's a cause I care a lot about. And Judith and her group are doing tremendous work. So They really are. And it's, it's an honor to do it. Thank you. Take care. In today's episode, we talked about men's health, a topic we didn't get a chance to cover today is men and substance use. Studies show that men are more likely than women to use almost all types of illicit substances. The Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, CISUR, has created several informative workbooks to help those who use substances. Workbooks covering topics such as substance use in young people, helping people who use substances, and safer use. These can be found on heretohelp.bc.ca. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.